Our sermon today comes from the Gospel of John chapter 11, and I want to read part of that story uh, for our scripture reading now. It's a story of the raising of Lazarus. John takes a leisurely time telling that story. It's full of richness and detail. I'm going to only read uh, the first 27 verses or so of the story to uh, set the stage for our learning and edification today. Hear the word of God. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent a message to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory, so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. Accordingly, though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. After this... He said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now trying to stone you and you want to go there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Those who walk during the day do not stumble because they see the light of this world. Now those who walk at night stumble because the night is not in them. After saying this, he told them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, then all will be well. Jesus, however, had been speaking about his death, but they thought he was referring merely to sleep. So Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. So let us go to him. Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Well, let us go as well so we can die with him. When Jesus arrived he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. 
do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. May God bless the reading of his word. Good morning. I'll get this out of the way first. The weather report. Uh, Yes, it rained in Abilene. It was raining this morning at 6 a.m. It was also raining in winters. It's raining in Ballinger. And it was raining just before I got here to San Angelo. So it's a very positive uh, weather outlook for those of us who live in West Texas. It's a delight to be here this morning and to worship together and to hear uh, God's Word and to reflect on His uh, teaching for us today. First, let me tell you a story or a, an incident. or a, uh, I want to tell you about a little, a little line that's found on, in graffiti in the catacombs underneath the great city of Paris. Strange place to start, but here we go. In 1786, uh, the official city officials of Paris decided that they needed to do something with a lot of dead bodies, bones. And underneath the city of Paris are, were limestone quarries that had been uh, chiseled out during Roman times. They began to stack up uh, body after body, sets of bones after sets of bones, until they had about five million sets of bones uh, lined up through these narrow catacombs underneath the city of Paris. And this piece of graffiti is the thing that I want to reflect on a little bit. <clears throat> there, sketched into the low ceilings, uh, in underneath the city of Paris is this little line that goes like this. Crazy that you are. Why do you promise yourself to live a long time when you cannot count on a single day? It's a provoking thought, is it not? Oh, I'm going to live a long time, and yet we cannot be assured of even the day, the day that we're in right now. It's one of the reasons why I want us to think about this text today from John chapter 11, the raising of Lazarus, this long narrative of which we heard a part of already this morning. This story, the story of raising of Lazarus, usually shows up at funerals. When we find ourselves faced and confronted with the reality of death, we often turn to this text to find encouragement, hope, and possibility for our lives. And I'm not knocking that. It's a great sermon for uh, funerals. I've preached it many times at uh, gravesides and in funeral homes across this country. But I think that perhaps there's more to this text than just having a good funeral sermon. I think John tells us this story because he wants us to understand something that was afoot for Mary and Martha. Do you remember that moment in the story when I read it a few moments ago when Martha finally sees Jesus show up? She says, basically, well, it's about time. Or literally, she says, if you had only been here, then thus and so would not have happened. My brother would not have died. She is facing and dealing with something that we as human beings deal with all the time. The desire, this intense desire to have uncertainty and our troubles and the problems that we face in our lives resolved. And we want it resolved right now. 
In fact, uh, because of the possibilities of our culture and society and technology today, uh, we, are, we often wrestle with the reality of what we might call instant gratification. An author by the name of Paul Roberts recently wrote a book called The Impulse Society. He writes that our entire consumer society has elevated immediate gratification to life's primary goal, that this is the one thing we've got to have, and that is for our problems to be solved right now, immediately, today, in this moment. Well, I think that's true, and I think that Martha is wrestling with some of that, but I think Martha's situation goes deeper than just wanting uh, my phone fixed, and I want it fixed today. Or I'm going to order this thing and two-day shipping from Amazon is just not quick enough. Or when we go to FedEx and overnight seems like an eternity, right? I think there's something deeper going on for Martha. And I think we all long for it. That deep longing for God to show up in those dark times, in those challenging places of our lives. We, we want to see some real evidence that God is alive, that God is at work, that God is for us in some cogni- a, a concrete way. God, where are you? If you would only have been here. We feel the tick, tick, tick of time passing and we're looking for God and will he show up or not? Some years ago, it was my uh, sacred joy to walk with a couple by the name of Henry and Melissa. Henry and Melissa had served for many years as missionaries in the, in the islands of Japan, but uh, trouble had struck. Henry had come down with MS and it began to advance quickly. They had three young daughters. One of those daughters had particular sets of issues with mobility, uh, disability, and uh, lots of crises in their family's life. And uh, it was forced them to move back from Japan, back to the States. And it was at that point that my life joined with their life for several years. Henry's struggle was, where is God at in all of this? How am I going to take care of my three daughters in the situation that I find myself in? Where are you, God? Where are you? You know, I think that all of us have found those points and times in our lives. And with Martha, we stand there looking at Jesus saying, where have you been? It's about time that you show up and do something with the stuff that's going on. And you know what? And that's why this story I find so provocative is that Jesus had been given adequate notice and could have showed up and done something about Martha's dilemma. And he chose not to. Isn't that odd? Isn't it odd? And it kind of grates on us a little, perhaps. Why isn't God showing up? Why didn't God show up here? Why is it that Jesus sat right where he was, and waited two more days before he ups and decides to leave wherever he was at and make his way down to the village of Bethany. Well, we poke around in the text, and we get some glimmers of ideas, some possibilities. Some things are being said here. Let me point out a couple of them. We've got to sort out what they mean, I think. 
Jesus says early on that this illness that Lazarus has uh, does not lead to death. Rather, it's for God's glory. Hmm, is God up to something here? Or a little later on, he will say as the disciples are trying to keep him from going because they know that there's a price on his head and that things may not go well when they get back down into Judea, where he says, look, I'm glad that Lazarus has died so that you may come to believe. There's something about faith that's at stake. Our faith and God's glory. What's going on in all of this that prompts Jesus to take the course of action that he takes? Well, I think we see some of that beginning to work itself out in the dialogue that Martha and Jesus have uh, when uh, Jesus shows up outside the village of Bethany. Martha says, that line that we talked about already, it's about time you showed up. If you'd only been here, my brother would not have died. And then Jesus gives her a theology lesson. He asks her this basic sort of question where he says to her, uh, uh, you know, uh, does your brother will rise again. He asks her this question and she recounts as she was taught in Sunday or synagogue school, sure, I believe that there is a resurrection out there somewhere. Sure, I know that there's a general resurrection of the dead that we can hope for way out in the future. But that doesn't do me any good right here and right now. And at that point, then Jesus begins to try to work on uh, Martha a little bit, even as I think he wants and longs to work with us in dealing with an idea, a concept that we struggle with. The struggle is, That somehow or another we can hold general theory or theology uh, in in a sort of intellectual way. But when it comes to actually applying it in the moment, it gets really, really tough to do. Reminded of this when I think about uh, sending four kids off to college. For 18 years, with each one of them, I and my wife, Vicki, knew intellectually that we, we were training and preparing them to go off to college and seek their fortunes, just like the fairy tale, right? To, to be able to live on their own, to be able to handle life, to be able to be mature enough to deal with the next stage of their growth and development. It is altogether a different thing to hold that theory in your head and take your son or daughter off to college and put them in a too small room with too many things, right? You should have seen my daughter's roommate's eyes when the loads of shoes came into the room. I won't tell you which one of the three daughters. It's not one you've met, okay? I'll put it that way. Uh, It's one thing to have the theory that all will be well and this is the right thing to do. I can trust the process of investing for 18 years in their life that all will go well. It's one thing to have that intellectually uh, set. It's another thing to actually act on it and walk out the door after the obligatory hug and kiss and trust that all will be well. Do you know what I'm talking about? This is what I'm getting at. I'm getting at the idea that we can make this big claim about God or the truth of God or the promises of God, that my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, that there is a resurrection in the last day, but how do we take that reality and bring it into present day, in the moment, practice? It's as if what's going on in this story 
is that Jesus is taking the childhood uh, little game, show and tell. Do you remember show and tell? Where we show something, oh, look at this pretty object, and then we tell about it. Jesus is flipping it around and trying to drive home a point. He's telling Martha something, and a little bit later, he's going to show how real it really is. So right now in the middle of the story, Jesus says to Martha, look, I get this notion of the theory about resurrection, but I'm telling you that resurrection in life is standing eyeball to eyeball with you right here and now. That the resurrection in life that you long for and hope for is not a distant dream. It is present reality with you in the moment. Do you believe it? She stills wrestling with it. She says, well, I know you're the Messiah. I know all of that. She doesn't quite get it yet. It's as if, have you ever, have you ever uh, played with a, a, a telescope? You know, like the old school kind, you know, that has a, you pull out, the telescope's out. Or maybe even take a pair of binoculars. And, uh, you know, the purpose of binoculars or telescopes is to take something distant and bring it up close. But have you ever got a hold of a telescope or a pair of binoculars and flipped them the other way? And it takes something distant and pushes it way out there. Well, church, all too often I see a lot of Christians doing that with their theology. They just flip the telescope that we've been given and push theology further and further and further away until it does nobody any good. Be like deer hunting and seeing a deer at 100 yards and looking through a binoculars and seeing it looks like it's at 900 yards. Not much good. The reality is that what Jesus is about to do in this story is to take the truth of our theology that Jesus is the resurrection and the life and boom, it busts into reality, into full technicolor reality right in front of Mary and Martha and all those gathered there on that day. And what I am suggesting this morning is that God desires to do that in our life. He will do it in our life on his time, on his agenda, to bring about reconciliation, hope, and new life into our lives, if we'll just trust in him. And you're saying, well, that's all well and good, but how do I know? How do I know that that doctrine is really sound? How do I know that that theology you're talking about, about resurrection in the life, is all for real or not? Well, I'm going to tell you that it's real because on this day, When Jesus said, where have you laid him? And they said, as is often said in the Gospel of John, come and see, come and see. And he makes his way to the tomb. And there, the text says, and I didn't read it this morning, but you you know some of this text. He's deeply troubled. He's deeply in, in deep anguish. And there's that little short verse, the little shortest verse of all the Bible. Jesus wept. And uh, people want to speculate endlessly about what all that meant, but I'm going to tell you one of the reasons why he wept. He realized that in this moment, this idea of making something theoretical real was all on his shoulders. In that moment, if he spoke and cried out to that tomb with the stone rolled away and Lazarus came forth, For that to take place, he knew that he would be soon in a tomb and the tomb would be shut. He knew that for him to make real that theology, it was going to cost him 
his life. You see, when we read the story of the raising of Lazarus two weeks from Easter Sunday, we're really getting a foreshadowing of Jesus' own death and movement into a tomb. Lazarus comes out, and for Lazarus to come out and mean something, Jesus has got to go in. And in that moment, and Jesus declares, cries out, and invites Lazarus to come forth, we are seeing the bearing witness of the truth that Jesus is who he says he is, the resurrection and the life. He is for real. The teaching is true. The question is, will we wake up and see the possibilities of living our lives, not merely with some pie-in-the-sky notion that somehow or another, some way or another, in the future, all will be well, that in reality, to declare that Jesus is the resurrection and the life is to declare that Jesus is alive and at work in our life right here, right now. Now, I told you about Henry and Melissa And I wish that I could tell you some sort of fairy tale ending to that story. But I will tell you the ending of, I'll tell you where the story is at today. And I believe it with all my heart that it declares the faithfulness of God. I buried Henry some years later before uh, I moved to Texas in 2012. Uh, But you know what? By God's grace, uh, Melissa's family began to adopt and work with those children. Melissa applied for and received a scholarship to Emory Law School. She's now an attorney in DeKalb County, Atlanta, Georgia. Those daughters, those three daughters that Henry was so concerned about, whether or not they would survive or thrive or have a future, are now in high school and junior high school, thriving and doing well in amidst a family and a congregation that loves them and cares for them. Their future is assured. Their future is anchored. It's anchored because the truth of the resurrection of God is at work in God's people, taking care of God's people, taking care of and blessing those persons who put their trust in him. That's what I'm saying is true for us all. All too often, we simply avoid the reality of what it means for us to trust that God will in his promises And his timelines take care of us and do the right thing on our behalf. One story and then I quit. This story is not mine. It comes from an old dead preacher by the name of Charles Spurgeon who preached in London in the late 1800s. It's his story, but I like it. He tells the story of a little... A little old couple who were very poor near the end of their life living in London. And a gentleman calls upon them in their poverty... And he notices on the wall something framed. They'd framed this object. It was a piece of paper. And on the paper was in very elaborate etching a picture of someone. And uh, the man was quite astounded because what was there was quite valuable. Here they were living in poverty. He said, what's the story about your piece on the wall? And the the couple said, well, many years ago, after the Napoleonic Wars, we took in a young, dying French officer. And uh, we took care of him and ministered to him until he died. But before he died, he gave us this piece of paper and uh, said for us to take it, to receive it. 
And, and we, we just thought it was a nice fitting memento to remember that part of our life. All the while not recognizing that this was a, a Bank of France note worth thousands and thousands of pounds. A small fortune. Something that would have made their life very different if they had known its true value. And taken it from being something hanging on the wall to something that could be used for bread and food. Church, we all too often come into this place and out of this place and into Bible's classes and out of Bible classes talking about theology and doctrine and a whole lot of other things. I'm here today to declare that those things ought not to be reverse telescoped and cast forward. But what we have done here today is we've taken bread and wine, as we have gathered and sung, and even as we've reflected on this text this morning, we are being invited to let the teaching of the resurrection, I am the resurrection and life, and all who believe in me will live, is a statement of truth that is for you and for me, and today let us be people who make it real by the way in which we take on the tasks that God has given to us day by day. Let's stand together and sing.